0: Welcome to today's edition of the Bible Class. Our teacher, Dr. Kenneth C. Hill, is teaching from the New Testament book of John. You may send your questions by email through our website at whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Or you may mail your questions to the Bible Class. Care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bloodville, Tennessee, 37617. And now, Here is Dr. Hill with today's lesson.
1: Welcome to the Bible class. We're in John, the Gospel, chapter 11, and we've been talking about the miracle of the raising of Lazarus from the grave, from the dead. And we've given you quite a detailed story and study of how he was raised from the dead and the various things that happened after that, but I want to finish the story of that today. Going back to verse 43, And when he had thus spoken, that is Christ, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him, and let him go. I love preaching on that portion of the verse. Loose him and let him go. That's exactly what we need to do today. (laughs) We need to loose the Christian and let him go and get the work of Christ done in the world today. But here was Lazarus bound up with the grave clothes And he had to be unwound so he could be in the society once again. And so Christ saw him bound, and he gave another command, which was loose him and let him go. Now, we said a command always has to be given to someone who can obey the command, right? Someone who is able to take care of the command. There were people all gathered around, and they were all able to pull those grave off. And that's exactly what they did. Now imagine this. Imagine the rejoicing, the, the excitement of everybody there, especially Mary and Martha. They've seen their brother come back from the dead. He is back. Now there's nothing to make us think that he did not come back perfectly well and perfectly whole. Oh, well, I think that if he had a pockmark on his face, he probably still had a pockmark on his face. Uh, if he had had a, uh, uh, a problem, uh, maybe he was losing his hair. I, he probably still was losing his hair. But when he came back from the dead, he came back fresh. He came back healed. And, I mean, I believe that. I believe that when Christ... Does something, he does it completely. And I I think that he brought him back from the dead. Any illness that he had had, if he'd been suffering from heart uh, problems or from diabetes or whatever, it was taken care of when he came back. And so here he was, Lazarus, whole and healthy and ready to work for the Lord. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on Jesus, believed on him. Verse 45. But notice there's always a dichotomy. There's always a division between those who will believe the truth and those who have a problem and won't believe the truth. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done, then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we, for this man doeth many miracles? What kind of question is this? What kind of stupidity do these people portray? They portray the human trait of stupidity, don't they? The same one you and I have, and from time to time it shows up just at the worst possible time, doesn't it? That trait of stupidity that you're mother told you was somewhere in your father's lineage, there it is, just sort of rears its ugly head, and you act stupid. You say something stupid. You stick your foot in your mouth is the way that some folks would say it. You don't say what you mean. You don't mean what you say. You're talking to be blabbing, much like Peter did in some of the <laughs> some of the situations that we read about in the New Testament. But here, these guys, while they were stupid, while they were lacking in intelligence, they were, un- they were at- absolutely operating under demonic uh, uh, authority and control, apparently, because l- look at what they said. If they were truly the leaders of the Jewish nation, they were looking for the Messiah. They weren't. They might have been the leaders, but they weren't looking for the Messiah. That means they were not controlled by God. They were controlled by the devil, because either you follow God or you follow Satan. That's what Christ said time and time again. And he looked at the Pharisees and the leaders of the Jewish nation, and he said, "...you are of your father, the devil." And so while I would like to say they were stupid, I've got to retract that and to say that they were demonic. Okay? Then gathered these chief priests, uh, Pharisees, etc. They got the council together. They said, what do we? For this man worketh many miracles. Oh, what are we going to do? This guy, he's doing God's work. Oh, we can't have that around here. That seems to be the attitude. Verse 48, if we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. Now notice, this is not, I repeat, this is not based upon a holy attitude for the welfare of the people of Israel. This is not based upon a desire to follow the law of God. This is based upon a desire to keep themselves in power. This is a political action. This is not spiritual, although it is spiritual in the final analysis. But they're moving in a political plane. They're going in a political fashion. And so they say the Romans will come and take away our, our place, that is our authority, and take away our nation. We won't have control anymore. And one of them, named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all. Well, I agree with him there, but let's see what else he said. Nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. This spake he not of himself, But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. Now, notice he messed up. He didn't know what he was talking about in its totality. Now, he understood what he was advocating. He was advocating the death of Christ so that the Jewish nation could continue under the Roman rule. But I don't think he realized the full meaning of those words. He was simply expressing the thought of a political collaborator with Rome. That's all he was doing. And yet, when you think about it, one commentator said that this expresses the central theme, the central doctrine of the Christian faith. And it does. It's the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. And it expresses that central doctrine or dogma of the church. But Caiaphas didn't know he was doing that, because we have to extrapolate it, put it in the spiritual instead of the physical. But you get the picture. It is expedient that one man die, that the whole of mankind could be forgiven of our sin indeed but that was not what he was talking about he was talking about one man dies so that they can keep their authority keep their power and it's not one of them they're not offering up one of their own as a sacrifice they're wanting to snatch jesus the christ the son of the living god they want to murder him execute him verse 52 and not for that nation only, but also he should gather together in the one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Then from that day forth they took counsel together for to put him to death. Jesus therefore walked no more openly among the Jews in Judea, but thence uh, went thence into a country near to the wilderness in a city called Ephraim, and there continued with his disciples." And the Jews' Passover was nigh at hand, and many went out of the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then sought they for Jesus, and spake among themselves as they stood in the temple, What think ye that he will not come to the feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a commandment, that if any man knew where he were, he should show it, that they might take him now notice the raising of Lazarus from the dead puts this into high gear this this idea of the Pharisees and the the um, Sanhedrin uh the high priests there were two of them ananias uh ananias ananias i guess it is and caiaphas anyway these uh two high priests the sanhedrin the pharisees they were all gathering together to kill christ and this went into high gear the snowball started rolling down the hill as it were when lazarus was brought forth from the grave because this was such a miracle this was such a huge miracle And it had gotten back to their ears. Now, when Christ had raised others from the dead, and we see that in the Synoptic Gospels, uh, and uh, had raised them up, it was an immediate thing at that time. You know, there was one funeral procession. The young man was raised up by Christ. Uh, There was a young lady who had died, and and Christ raised her up immediately, practically. Uh, Those were different situations, and, and Christ showed his magnificence and power and his authority, but not in the same direct and, and uh, magnanimous way. This, this was a magnificent thing because it was so close to Jerusalem that it happened. It was a couple miles away. And uh, all it took was uh, one uh, person walking rather fast, could be there in less, well, not even walking all that fast, could be there in less than an hour, and could tell the Jewish leaders everything that had happened. Eyewitness account. That was not necessarily the case in the other instances that we have, but you get the picture. When this resurrection of Lazarus happened, it set them off. They figured, we got to do something, we got to do something quick, because this is going to get around, and when it gets around, when the word gets around, we're going to have problems with the Roman officials, because they're going to say somebody is moving forward somebody is trying to take some sort of authority or some sort of charge, and we can't have that. Uh, And, of course, that was the way that the Romans worked. The Romans, if they saw someone coming up in um, in the community of the nation in which they are ruling, and they saw them as a potential threat, they would themselves cut that person off or those people off or would make sure that they had no way to, to uh, exercise any kind of uh, authority, any rule at all. This was the Roman way. You uh, cut off any kind of opposition long before they got strong enough uh, to create any problems. Uh, in politics, it's the same way. I saw this happen often uh, with one certain politician that I knew. And in his position, it was very... Um, very well known, very well liked. But he made sure that if anybody at all was coming up the ranks and looked like they were going to be able to get close to him within the next five or ten years, he made sure that either they went away politically or that they got some mundane job somewhere and couldn't rise any any higher. And that was the way it was in that political structure. And you say, well, that's, that's really not so nice. Well, no, it's not so nice, but it's been going on since Roman times and before that, uh, in the times of the Greeks, uh, it went on that way as well. And this is what the Pharisees were doing. They were protecting themselves by killing, what they wanted to do was execute, Jesus Christ. Now, Caiaphas, in giving us uh, this truth, uh, it is expedient for one man to die for the nation. Uh, and helping us understand the doctrine that is a central doctrine of the of the uh, Christian faith. That uh, the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ is absolutely, absolutely, absolutely vital uh, for us to uh, have faith in Christ. We've got to have the substitutionary atonement. For us to have salvation, we have to have the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. So... The prophecy is given without it being a prophecy. I mean, Caiaphas was not a prophet, but here he was prophesying nonetheless. And um, then we see that Jesus decided not to walk among them, and he did not. Passover was coming. Now, where are we? We're at AD 33. We're three years plus into the ministry of Christ. We're just a matter of days away now from Christ's crucifixion. And this is how fast it moves in the book of John. And we're going to get into details of all of these things going up through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ in just a matter of of, uh, a couple of lessons. We'll be heading into it. Let's get started uh, going in that direction in chapter 12. Uh, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover... And remember, the Passover is going to be at the time when Christ is crucified. So six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. Now, it's very interesting to me that John phrases it the way he does. He says, where Lazarus, which, uh, which, Lazarus was, which had been dead. Well, that's a good statement. He formerly was dead. Uh, I remember my mom and uh, our whole family, along with some aunts and uncles, were traveling in the Smokies when I was a kid. And um, they were talking about uh, family and descendants and things that I wish I could remember what all they talked about because I don't know those people and uh, did not know them, of course, because they were before my time. And they were talking, and and Mom asked the innocent question, well, is he still dead? Well, that's hilarious. Of course he's still dead. He died. It's uh, once for us to die. We've got an appointment after this, the judgment. Of course the guy was still dead. Well, that's not what she meant, of course. We've talked about that, slips of the tongue and all that. What she meant was, is he deceased? Is he dead? But she said, is he still dead? Well, here, you had to ask that. Is Lazarus still dead? No, he's not still dead. He's alive. And so this is six days before the Passover, six days before crucifixion time was coming. Christ came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, that is, right now, instantly, he is here, which had been dead, whom he, that is Christ, raised from the dead. See how John put it? He had been dead, he's here right now, and Christ raised him from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Now that would not be unusual. The brother of the family, the head of the family, would not have done any serving, and not normally. Uh, That head of the family, in this case brother Lazarus, would have been one of the hosts, if not the host, of the evening and he would not have been serving. And he was sitting at the table with Christ and with those that were invited guests. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard very costly and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Oh, what a beautiful picture of the devotion! of Mary, the sister of Lazarus. Let's read on, and then we'll talk about it. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for three hundred pence and given to the poor? This he said not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief, and had the bag, and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, Let her alone, against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Much people of the Jews therefore knew he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Wow. Mary took a pound of ointment of spikenard, worth a year's wages, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair,
0: and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Thank you for joining us today for this edition of the Bible Class with Dr. Kenneth C. Hill. You may reach us by email by going to our website, WHCBRadio.org, and sending us an email on the Contact Us link. That's WHCBRadio.org. If you prefer to use the Postal Service, our address is the Bible Class, WHCB, Post Office Box 5. Blountville, Tennessee, 37617. That's the Bible class, care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Blountville, Tennessee, 37617. You may also call us at 423-878-6279. Until our next Bible class program, we are trusting that the Lord will richly bless you as you serve Him.